and Raising Rare, we are bringing you the story of a young father whose son has an ultra-rare disorder known as Sedegatian type spondial metaphysial dysplasia, or SSMD. My name is Kevin Fryert. Each episode, we will find out what is going on in the life of Sanath and his son, Raghav. We will talk about Raghav's growth and development, ongoing and upcoming research, and the challenges and adventures that raising a child with a nearly unknown condition brings. Come join us to hear the story unfold. Thanks for tuning in to Raising Rare. This week, we continue our conversation about the costs of raising a rare child. Last time we talked about the overall cost of society and the specific medical costs for raising Raghav. Most of these are covered by insurance, which is paid for by Sanath and Ramya's employers. Today, we are going to discuss some of the unseen an underappreciated indirect cost that Sanath and Ramya must bear themselves. The ones we cannot see on a medical bill. The ones that are more costly than just money. So Raghav gets a lot of therapies every every day and every week. And therapies overall cost just about 4% of this overall cost I was talking about. So $30,000 over the last 32 months. And that's about $1,000 a month, which is, which is fair because that's how much you would pay for going to school or, or going to a daycare or even less than that. So this, this actually is, is something that I could actually pay out of pocket, it seems like, because that's pretty, that, is, that is in comparison with all the costs that, that a normal kid would, would you'd spend on a normal kid anyway. It goes back to the insurance companies. They're saying, we'll pay for it because they know there's benefit. Having physical and occupational therapy, speech therapy, all those things will reduce their costs in the long time, in the long term. It actually touches on another part of this, which is indirect costs. So the time that's spent in therapy actually may feel like preschool would, like time when you can step back because there's somebody else taking care of him. But there's also, you got to have appointments. You got to be there. You, you know, you've either got to be home or get to the office where the therapy happens, whatever it is, it reduces your choices in life because you've got to do it that way. Again, you could say preschool is scheduled too. So, so it does the same thing. It's just usually preschool gives you a little bit more time and flexibility around that and more routine. Exactly. And the kids, and the kids are learning through preschool, through therapy, the parents are learning. So the therapy is actually for the parents to learn and then do it on the kid uh, through the week. So it, it's actually not oh. a preschool. It's, it's the other way around. So the kid is just a, just a piece that the therapist uses to demonstrate what the therapy should look like. And then it's on the parents to learn. Oh, wow. I hadn't thought of it that way, that it really is you know, training, training you to do therapy. Wow. Okay, so that actually becomes a, a direct, indirect cost. You know, your time is now taken up doing that. So how about some of the indirect costs? Some of the things, like that time that's spent, like the, we talked about your, your housing situation, so we don't have to cover that again, but 
what other indirect costs do you feel you're you're uh, you're incurring? I would say that there's a monetary portion of the indirect cost and there's a non-monetary portion of it. So the monetary portion would be things like, oh, we moved cities because we need ragavs uh, taken care of by this other doctor, or we need to live very close to the hospital because the, the place that is very close to the hospital is really expensive. And that's indirect cost that we're paying for a, for a higher house prices and stuff like that and, and higher cost of living. And then our grandparents being here is obviously an indirect cost. And then the changes to our work schedule, the impact on, um, on, our, on, our, on our day-to-day activities, on even our ability to, to, to perform at work and potentially get promoted and, and get a higher pay grade. That is all indirect cost. The non-monetary cost, I would say, is the cost that just cannot be quantified, is the mental and physical health impact. To having a kid with rare disease. And that's huge. Ramya and I have, ha- have aged faster than what our peers would have aged. We, we don't spend much time on social media. We don't spend you know, time browsing things. We, we just don't even have the time to, to play a game. If we've, not, if we've not worked out in a while. We sleep poorly. And we're in stress, I guess, in and out of stress all the time. You know, a moment that will be super happy, and the next moment, Raga will, I don't know, do something or vomit, and then we will be in the stress mode again. And the, and the next moment, we'll, we'll again be happy. And, and this sort of, you know, confused emotional state always isn't um, healthy because all the time we are sort of debating, should I be happy or sad now? Again, that's a deliberate question that we have to ask ourselves <laughs> because we don't even know which state we should be in our, in our head. Because if I, look around, if I look to the left-hand side of me, there's going to be sadness. And if I look to the right-hand side of me, there's going to be happiness. <laughs> what, do, what state should I even be here? And I'm physically talking about two different contrasting worlds living in front of me. As you're talking about that, unfortunately in our society, a lot of how people gauge something like that, like how happy I am is like, what about this person over there? Am I as happy as them? Or am I more happy than this person over here? And in this case, you guys aren't talking about that. You're talking about, I'm confused emotionally. Something just happened here and I don't know, is it good or bad? And, and you said the mental stress or the, the mental health side of this is huge. It's like, yeah, that's amazingly huge. If you can't translate what's going on in your own your own heart and mind i also was thinking about the every life foundation and their report i need to go back and see if they dug into that are people's overall health care in a household do they have higher mental health care costs they likely do or maybe more unfortunately they don't which means they're just swallowing it somehow. They're just, they're just, it's building up, which just makes it worse. It's one of those things where you really need someone who knows how to help you through the mental health issue, knows how to help you translate what's going on. And, and it will translate into longer term medical costs for, for both me and Ramya, right? And if I look at 
if I look at my insurance or an average insurance cost for a person of say 40 years of age at, at sort of this demographics compared to me, I, I think my family will have a, a, an overall higher insurance cost. And I can say that for certain because this is, we can, we can see the, the, the early stages of, of you know, more pain and, and, and trouble happening in our bodies. Uh, and I can only imagine what the impact of on any of those would be in our long-term health. Going back to the Every Life Foundation a little bit, they broke down their cost estimates and they looked at parents versus patients. Parents were when you were in a household with the, the rare disease person being less than 18 years old. They actually took the indirect cost, the cost actually to your employer, um, the absenteeism and presenteeism, loss of community engagement um, and, and volunteerism, things like that. That was the biggest chunk of a parent's overall contribution to the cost. It was $34,000 a year per person. Billion. Oh. No, okay. 34000 per person per year. <laughs> um, Crazy. Which if you think about that and you're an employer, you're going, wait, I'm spending an extra $34,000 on someone? So just offhand, I don't, I don't want to get you fired here. How many days off have you guys required? You know, when Raga was, after Raga was born, my, my wife had her pregnancy off and she took her entire period. And I ended up taking about 12 weeks off FMLA. So FMLA is um, a, a government-sponsored program called Family and Medical Leave Assistance. That's when you can take a time off, uh, paid time off, when you really need to take care of someone sick at home or, or yourself who's sick and stuff like that. And so I ended up taking 12 weeks of FMLA, which again is, 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 a, is an absenteeism cost that you would add. And ongoing, I've been taking a lot of time off every now and then, um, just because we have to take care of Raga, we have to take him to a hospital somewhere, he's admitted and stuff like that. And so I would say, yeah, in the last 32 months, we've probably taken somewhere between 20 weeks, 20 plus weeks off. And that's, that's a lot of time. And that's one that you can, you know, it's pretty concrete. You can tell whether you're at work or not. The other one that's tougher is, you know, how many times are you at work and you're not able to compartmentalize to just work? That's got to be, you know, quite a burden to, to take through the workday. Yeah, that would be massive because I'm, yeah, that, that's going to happen a lot. I would say it happens a lot more than, than what I can usually think of. So, so my big question here is how are, how are your employers responding to this situation? How do, how do they help you accommodate it? They are quite accommodative, I would say, um, especially my, my team. Everybody knows what I'm doing. And that's one of the things, one of the good things about being so vocal and public about all of the challenges we're facing is people, at least, they don't quite understand everything, but they at least feel emotionally uh, the challenges that we're going through. And so they are a lot more responsive and, and supportive in all of this. And especially, you know, we've, we've moved to a completely different city and I've not changed my employer uh, or even my team that I work with. Uh, and it's all because of their support. So I'd say my company has been especially really good um, regarding that. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's the employers who have been paying up for a lot of the medical costs. And I would say that's probably a lot more expensive to them at this point. Um, 
my personal time or my absenteeism. And from an employer standpoint, they have my performance managed actively. So they know when my performance drops and they can raise concerns. And fortunately, so far, uh, none of that has happened. So I'm happy about that. Well, that's a wonderful comfort, you know, that, that your company's able to stand behind you in this. And I think that, again, going back to their business case for it, it's like, well, you're a produce, productive employee. You're producing what they've asked you to produce. You're meeting objectives, exceeding objectives in places. It's worth it, right? It's, they, they're like, this is worth it. And I think that, on the other hand, it also creates a loyalty. You know, if the company's going to stand behind me, I'm going to work a little harder for them, which going back to the mental health issue, oh, sometimes that's <laughs> like, I don't want to work harder for them right now. I've got something else to do. So how have you guys managed that balance? I don't think we've, we've managed it very well so far. We have, we have days or weeks where we work in burst for my employer where we focus, uh, where I focus exclusively on work and nothing else. And then there are weeks or days where, where I focus or my focus shifts on Raghav and his, his therapies and his medications and stuff like that, where I'm just like, you know, keeping in touch with work, but I'm not, not fully present. And, and this sort of ups and downs happen all the time. And COVID has been actually quite beneficial in the sense that I have been able to context switch uh, in and out of work during the day. And it doesn't turn out to be disruptive at all to anybody because yes, I have I have an hour of free time for myself, and I, I choose to do this or that, right? Uh, and then I will obviously catch up on work in in the middle of the night, but that's a different story. At the end of the day, my my net outcome has, I guess, remained fairly same. So um, that has that is how we've coped up. And again, as I said, it's not sustainable. We've we've both been thinking about, you know, just like. Can we take a sabbatical? Can we take can we take a few weeks off? We've never taken a few weeks off because we don't know if we need those few weeks for uh, Raghav's medical care eventually. So we take a day or two here and there off, but we never take like weeks at a time off because we don't we want to save it for the future. I really want to thank you for kind of opening up the the ledger here and and talking about finances, which is always difficult for people to do. And I think you've really you really enlightened people about what's the real cost, not just the stuff you see in a big, you know, averaged out report, but what's the real cost. So thank you very much. Absolutely. This has been fun. Raising Rare is produced by Salem Oaks, empowering patients and caregivers to shape the future of medicine. CureGPX4.org is dedicated to finding a treatment and cure for SSMD. You can donate to CureGPX4 on the Raising Rare podcast page or at CureGPX4.org. You can continue to follow Raga's story next time on Raising Rare. <laughs>